0: I'm going to continue with that series that John started last week on the character of God. Um, And you know what? God is so amazing, isn't he? He is amazing. And we're never going to get to the end of knowing him, which is wonderful in itself. He is a beautiful mystery. And we need to just keep searching, keep finding, keep on getting to know him. And that list that we're working through, the character of God that he gave himself to Moses. It's just a glimpse of who he is. But before I even go into that, I just want to, and it's so funny that John's already touched on it. I just want to say that God is good. Above everything we ever learn, above anything we ever read about or learn about about God, Above that, God is good. He can't not be good. And you know what? It's one of the main things people struggle with. Because, you know, it's a harsh and it's a hurting world, isn't it? And, the, and saying that God is good can raise up so many questions. It can be controversial to say that God is good. But whatever anything... Whatever anyone's ever done to you, whatever people have done to you or anyone else, whatever you've been through, what you can see going on, whatever anyone thinks, no man, no disaster, nothing can ever change the fact that God is good. He's always good. And we need to settle that in our hearts because settling and knowing that God is good is where faith begins. And Jesus said you only need faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. So if, uh, I just felt like I would say that today, I've, 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 I've written it down to say over the week, um, so it's amazing that you've already said a lot on, on God's goodness and Um, Yeah, if you've been having some of those private why God moments, or why is this happening to me God moments, or why do you allow this God moments, remember that he is good and he loves you, keep seeking him. So we're looking at the attributes of God as he describes them to Moses in Exodus 34. Moses asked God if he could see his face and show him his glory, but Seeing God in that setting, it would be too much for a human being to bear. You would sort of melt and die. So God had Moses nestled safely in the cleft of the rock. I love that. It's like He just sort of keeping you safe. I'm going to show myself to you, but I'm keeping you safe. Nestled safely into the cleft of the rock, covered by his hand of protection, while he, the God of all creation, we've just sang about him, the God of all creation passed by. So let's just read that scripture from Exodus 34, verse 5 to 6. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And it's really important to keep stressing that these, these attributes that, that's being described here, the ones that we're focusing on, they are how God describes himself to Moses. And he, he proclaimed it. And it's a proclamation directly from the mouth of God himself. And we know because He said it to Moses that he wants us all to know him in that way. We can trust him if he says it. We can trust him to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We can trust him to be the Lord, the I am, the self-existent one. I had a look at the way he repeated the Lord, the Lord. I wondered if it was two separate words, two different words. It's not. It's the same word, Jehovah or Yahweh. And that literally means the self-existent one and that revealed to Moses it wasn't just something he just entitled himself it it revealed it revealed to Moses it was the same god he saw at the burning bush who said i am that i am because that literally means i exist and i have always existed so we have the god confirming again to Moses we have god confirming again to Moses that he was still with him and he'd never left him and he'd not gone off on a different path but Moses continually sought God always wanting to seek his face and to know him more and more and no wonder he was called the friend of God and God cannot lie it's an impossibility it's the one thing that's impossible for God to do because creation is in the very word that comes out of his mouth Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, and this is in the message, by faith we see the world called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we don't see. He created the heavens and the earth through his word. If he said out loud, Joanne is a banana, I would literally turn into a banana. He's not going to turn me into a banana, but that's what would happen. If he just said, well, you're a banana, I would be a banana, right? So, Whatever he says must be correct because he is the truth. He cannot lie. If he said the sky was purple, it would go purple because he is God and the truth, and creation is in his tongue. So, has anyone seen the film Bruce Almighty? Yeah, it's a great film. One swear word, though. Why? Why that one swear word? It's rubbish. But, you know, it was just unnecessary. But the rest of it, amazing. It's a great film. And there's a great example in there of of what I mean when Bruce is working out whether he's actually meeting God or not. And so he begins to test him. So have we got it? Do you want to put it up? It's a great illustration of what I mean. Do you see what I'm saying? So, when he's describing himself, we can be certain that God is who he says he is. Okay? It's more certain than anything we'll ever know. We can rely on his word. So, let's just pray before we go any further. Father God, thank you for being here in this room. I, find, I pray that I preach your word clearly fully, honestly, and under your leading, that you will confirm your word to us. I ask you for help to discern your will. I pray that every heart will be open to hear what you're saying and that we receive all that you have for us in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So how amazing, how excellent was John's message last week. I thought it was brilliant about the compassionate God and that he's, and just a very quick recap, how compassion demands action. Jesus was moved by compassion. Compassion interrupts. We might have plans, but when we come across people in need, that compassion should interrupt. When we look at the loss through the eyes of Jesus, when we ask for a heart like his, compassion interrupts what we're doing so that we're moved into action, just like Jesus. And compassion costs it's costly. It might be time. It might be money. It might be your lunch or a pair of gloves you're wearing and you see someone who's cold. You know, I loved how John explained that it's not a harvest problem. It's a labourer problem. Jesus asked for workers to come out into the... Labourers for the harvest. The harvest was there. So anyway, have a listen on the podcast. It's really good stuff it's, and it's very challenging. Okay, and this week I'm looking at how God is gracious. Oh, the lights have come on. (laughs) I like it that I got to speak about God is gracious, because, you know, my name, Joanne, literally means God is gracious. I love that. John means God is gracious too, because Joanne's the feminine form of John. So there you go. And also, another pointless fact that I already know, um, is that, The day of my birth in May, the number one single was Amazing Grace by the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards. There you are. (laughs) It's a sign. Right. So anyway, we're going to look at this. this This was Old Testament. Just look at that. God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. He was giving him the law. They'd already, you know, started worshipping an idol and then it got smashed and started all over again. But we were in the middle of this law time. And we tend to separate the Old and New Testaments into the law and grace, don't we? But even in that time, God was saying, No, I'm gracious. He's not, he's not ever stopped being gracious. He's always been gracious. God's not describing himself, himself as a policeman. He's describing himself as gracious. It's not a throwaway comment. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, my commentary, because I like to look at words, my commentary tells me that he was proclaiming. It's Twice it said he proclaimed himself. And the word proclaim here means it's a formal introduction. Calling out who he is as he passes by. And they're not just characteristics, but a description of his heart. But they're also titles. It reminds me of when I've watched something like Royal on the TV, and then you get some, some guy in pedal pushes, velvet pants, whatever, step forward and go... Lord Farquaad, or something like that, and then they come into the room. Do you know what I mean? And they do it in a very important voice, and it seems very pompous and ceremonial, but do you know what? This is done for two reasons. Number one, everyone will know who this person is who's coming into the room, so they don't get confused. And number two, they have to acknowledge the title or the titles of that person, so that the correct honour can be shown to them. Okay, so salvation can only come through the grace of God. People talk about living under the law and under grace as though grace only existed in the New Testament, and that's not true. We've always served a gracious God. And I understand that old covenant and new covenant separation yes I'm not ignoring that sort of that doctrine but let's just look at when Moses was given the law the purpose of it what was it was it to follow so that person could reach salvation it wasn't look at what Paul says in Galatians 3 21 to 23 well then are God's laws and God's promises against each other of course not. If we could be saved by his laws, then God would not have had to give us a different way to get out of the grip of sin. For the scriptures insist we are all its prisoners. The only way out is through faith in Jesus Christ. The way of escape is open to all who believe him. Until Christ came, we were guarded by the law, kept in protective custody, so to speak until we could believe in the coming saviour. It's interesting, isn't it? The law was guarding humanity. It was graciously given by God for the safety of a newly formed nation. The nation of Israel was being reformed after 400 years, enslaved in Egypt. The Bible says around 600,000 men and then women and children, left Egypt and followed Moses into the wilderness. And to put that into perspective, the 2021 census said that the population of Lytham St. Anne's was 42,695. Blackpool has 141,000. Preston has 147,900. So even if we added... All three together, Preston, Lytham St. Anne's, and Blackpool together, that would be 331,695. We're nowhere near how many people followed Moses through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, wandered for 40 years. Now, think about that. If there's no laws, what would happen? It's going to be chaos. Even if you had guidelines, mm, don't really. You know, it's just a guideline that that red light says stop. It's just a guideline that you can. You have to pay when you walk out of a shop. No, nope. it'd be chaos. Laws, they have a bit of a negative connotation, don't they? Rules and regulations. How many people have you heard say? Oh no, you go to church, I don't want to go to church, full of rules. So many people say it. But I think we can all agree that laws are necessary to keep people safe. It's how they're enforced that's the issue, that people have a problem with really. I think there's a freedom in knowing where you stand. But let me tell you something, Jesus was already the plan of salvation from the moment Adam and Eve listened to the serpent in the garden. Laws were given to help build a safe society, but God has always been gracious to us, always been faithful. Jesus had to come and show us the difference between living under a law, which became a works-based salvation, and grace, the free gift, the undeserved forgiveness of God to those who've got a humble and contrite spirit and that was in order to reconcile with God he said the Lord the Lord a God compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness you can feel the love in that statement can't you God gave Moses the model for how a nation should be run and also for humans to see how desperately we needed a Saviour. This is why Jesus said he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfil it. He said it in Matthew five seventeen, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them but to fulfil them. He was always the plan, and he said this to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. So that's Luke 24 to 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So grace was always the plan. Jesus is grace personified. He was talked about in the Garden of Eden. He was prophesied all about in the Old Testament. But still, the Father gave Moses the law it was never a means to salvation. It was there to bring safety and godly living standards. When parents tell their children not to do something, it's usually for their own good, isn't it? You know, and then when they say things like, not under my roof, why did they do it? It's for their safety. I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen examples of those those parents who... Don't have, any, don't have any rules or any you know, boundaries with their children. It rarely works out well. It, we need clear boundaries. Humans need clear boundaries, children especially. Oh, there's going to be huge problems to deal with, isn't there? So he wasn't, he's as, he wasn't asking his disciples to become protesters against those who are enforcing the law. He wasn't asking his disciples to become freedom fighters against the Romans. He said instead, forgive your enemies, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, love your enemies. And that's grace in action, isn't it? He gave us the blueprint for grace. He is the manifestation of grace. God is gracious, that's why he gave us the law, to keep safe, instill moral values, to be considerate, considerate to others and to recognise sin. But what exactly is grace? What is it? Strong's Concordance translates, translates it from gracious and it's, it's said like, it's canoon, but said like kanun. Can you do that? I've been practising. Canoon) <laughs> And that's from the root word grace. And it means to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. To favor, bestow, to have mercy or pity upon. And that's a picture of Jesus, isn't it? Right there. He left heaven for you and me. He left his position to humble himself, to come to earth and deal with that sin and that separation. The dictionary definition of gracious is courteous, kind and pleasant, especially towards someone of lower social status. And many of us know the Christian definition off by heart, grace is the unmerited, undeserved favour of God. But have we actually grasped that fully? I don't think we do, do we? God gives us his favor, even though we've done nothing to deserve it. It means that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It means that nothing we're ever able to do can make us holy enough to enter a holy heaven. Only Jesus can do that. He came and he changed everything. He changed all thought patterns, everything. He would leave the 99 to go after the lost one. And then rejoice when that lost one is found. It's not enough for him to just go and get that one. He has a party when he gets him. Do you know what I mean? It's amazing. He loves us so much. He's so gracious that he gave his only son so that we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And do you know what? He didn't have to. He didn't have to do it. He doesn't need to do it but he does it because he loves us. And Jesus gave us a beautiful parable to explain grace. In Luke 15, we all know it, 11 to 24. To further illustrate the point, he told them this story. A man had two sons. When the younger told his father, I want my share of your estate now, instead of waiting until you die his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land and there wasted all his money on parties and prostitutes. About the time his money was gone, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs, The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the swine looked good to him, and no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have food enough and to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he t- returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming, and was filled with loving pity, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven, and you, I am not worthy of being called your son,' but his father Ignored him and said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him and a jeweled ring for his finger and shoes and kill the calf we have in the fattening pen. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost and is found. And so the party began. How beautiful is that? Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is is like they rejoice when you come to God he is just is just and he wants justice but he is gracious he loves us so much he did everything possible to save us from separation from him even though we don't deserve it and even though he didn't have to do it it's amazing And that's why he sent Jesus to pay that highest price to reconcile us to God, to bring the answer to the world, to take back the keys of death and hell and to defeat the evil one. It's amazing. God is amazing. And sometimes I think, and I'm sort of going off my notes, I might lose my my way somewhere, but I was thinking earlier, sometimes it's like, We've replaced expectation with entitlement. And we forget that we're serving a holy and a wonderful and an awesome God. And we forget that we are, and we might come in and go, I'm expecting, but we're actually feeling like, I'm entitled to something. And I'm not sure that, you know, we've got that bit right, you know, because maybe that's why we're not seeing things. Because actually, the key is submit, surrender. It's not, give me this, give me that, God. It's not, I'm expectant because I want that and you said it and so I got to have it. No, God is God. We've got to, there is a respect and fear that's not around like it should be. God is awesome, He doesn't have to do anything for us. He's not a genie in a bottle. We are not there to summon him. Genies, if you've ever watched um, Aladdin or anything like that, you'll see they've got those things, those cuffs. It means they're slaves. They do what they're told. God is not a genie. God is God. He doesn't have to give us what we ask for. He wants to do because he loves us, because he's gracious, So what do we do with the graciousness of God? So number one, we receive it. Grace was the plan. Our salvation is the result of heaven's grace. We're born into a life of sin. We're separated from God. We've chosen somewhere along the line to do wrong. Every single one of us has done that. But a good and a just and a fair God can't ignore sin. Or he wouldn't be good and just and fair. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. There's a song there somewhere. There's no amount of money can pay for it. But because of his grace, he sent Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins while we were still sinners. The full wrath of God was poured out on him just for you and me. So that we can be forgiven and it's not to be taken lightly. So we need to acknowledge it and receive it. It's amazing grace, this forgiveness, the readiness of heaven to step in and bring restoration and redemption. I once um, had, I think I've said it before, but I once had a, a vision of the cross as I was trusting God for the healing of my unborn son. And I wasn't even praying at the time, I wasn't sat there being all, like, spiritual. I wasn't reading my Bible at the time. At that time, I was sat there. I was trying to switch off. I was watching TV. I was a bit tired. And I closed my eyes for a second. And I got this vision of the cross. It was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. Horrific. It was dark, and people crying, evil shadows were were waiting to drag Jesus into hell. And they were almost like clawing their way to him. And I was shocked at this picture that just came into my mind. I thought there was something wrong. And, you know, obviously the shadows had no idea of the power of Jesus to defeat them when he proclaimed it is finished, but... At that point, I was a little bit traumatized. And I was like, God, what is that? And then at that moment, I felt this voice speak into my mind, saying, do you think I did this for nothing? And everything changed. I was flooded with peace. And from that moment on, I knew my son, unborn. Everything said that was not going to happen. I knew it would be fine. People said I was in denial, Um, people said, oh, something psychological like that in the background. Um, I'd hear them say it, but I knew because God gave me that picture and gave me the peace that was the witness to that picture. And I knew he'd be healed, and he was. He was healed. But, yeah, you have to receive the grace sometimes we need a bit of a kick like I got that day because I was actually I was a little bit I'm not sure is it your will is it not your will and then suddenly that picture it was an encounter that I'll never forget so what do we do with the graciousness of God number two we reciprocate it grace is a present it's a gift we don't deserve can we do that for someone else He forgave us. Can we forgive someone? We need to forgive. It sounds too simple, doesn't it? But forgiveness is one, if not the hardest thing for a human being to do. Especially when we see unfairness and nastiness. When we've been on the receiving end of it. We can become a bit indignant and proud and want revenge. But that's not how God treats us. He could have wanted revenge, couldn't he? But he didn't. Because he's gracious. He saved us. I'm not saying that if someone breaks the law, they should get away with it. That's not what I'm saying at all. But even when something has done, someone has done something so bad that they have to go to prison for it, you can still forgive them. You know, we can still choose to forgive. Sometimes it's a small thing, but usually forgiveness is a huge ask, isn't it? Because we have to get to a place where we choose to forgive It's not a feeling. You can't go, well, I'll wait till I feel better and then I'll forgive. You've got to choose first and the feelings will follow. Jesus said, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, bless those who curse you. Can you imagine the knock-on effect if we all did that? In our life group the other night, we were asked the question, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And we, it was a real good discussion. And we were, it was like, it's something to think about, isn't it? We receive. We reciprocate. And thirdly, we reveal. Grace is a person. If we live in the way... Of, you know reciprocation then we reveal Jesus to those who don't know him just like he said to the disciples when you've seen me you've seen the father we get asked about our faith so talk about it once we've received and we start to seek him our attitudes towards others change and we see others other people a bit differently and it opens up conversations As we're discipled, we begin to grow in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, 22-24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We see grace in the lives of other Christians who are truly walking with God, don't we? We see it and seeking after him. We see it when we watch someone being baptized. We see it when we pray for someone or listen to a testimony of healing. We saw it the other week when we heard Malcolm and Kevin on the stage here. What an amazing couple of testimonies of grace amazing there's a special grace on missionaries they've reached a place i think i can, I can only say it terrifies me and i've been on short term missions trips oh my but gosh long term missions they are amazing these people they leave me in or they leave everything behind for people they don't know they give up their lives to go and serve in the name of jesus And they tell people about Jesus who may or may not turn to Jesus as a result. They put themselves in situations where it's just dangerous. But you know what? They do it anyway. And it's awesome. I once heard a story. In fact, it was turned into a documentary. And um, about five guys. And they wanted to go and be missionaries in Ecuador. Ecuador. Uh, to an unreached people group called the Alka Indians. Some of you might know this story. The Alkas were known to be the fiercest tribe. They still lived in the stone age. They had not integrated with anybody else. They didn't speak to outsiders. Anybody who came near them, they killed them. They were brutal. They lived the same as they had since the Stone Age. Anyone who tried to get near them was killed. The government of Ecuador needed to get to where they were living in their area to survey their land for oil, and they sent some representatives from Shell Oil, and they killed the Shell Oil representatives. And so they were going to send the army in and clear them out. And we all know what that means. It would have been a bloodbath. But these five young missionary guys, they asked for a chance to help. They'd already been researching these people and the tribes in the area. And uh, they spent time getting ready. They learned about them. They fasted and prayed. They researched. They had families who went with them and they were living nearby. And they'd all agreed that they had to go and try. So they, they got in there and they met with the... the they, they dropped some supplies from a plane at first and then they they landed the plane and they, got, and they made contact very tentatively for the first time and it seemed to be a success. It worked. They went back a second time and then all of, all of a sudden <clears throat> there was no check-in, no contact And a search party was eventually sent out. And one by one, they were found. They'd been attacked and killed, all five of them, by the people they'd been praying for, by the ones they'd tried to love and help. It was horrific. And some people would ask God to punish the Aoka Indians for what they did because it wasn't fair. These people went out of a heart of love It seemed like a huge waste. They were only young. I don't think any one of them was over 30, to be honest. But God always has the last word, doesn't he? And it's like what you said before, John. If it's not done, if it's not good, it's not over. If it's not good, it's not over. Because God answers prayers. So the wife of one of the men, a lady called Elizabeth Elliot, and their sister... Of another one, a lady called Rachel Saint. They stayed behind when all the other families went home to grieve. And one day, they, they were nearby, they weren't in that area but they were nearby, one day a woman came out of the Alka village and strayed into the village that the two women were staying at. And uh, they learned from her, they learned the language. And everything, and then some time later, two more women came out from the tribe because they were sick of all the killing. And they came out and they said something really interesting. They said, "Tell us about the man maker." Something had stuck from those five guys. They said, "Tell us about the man maker." And they took the women, the two women, back with them, taught them their language, and they translated the Gospel of Mark for them. And then they did something only God could have given given them the grace to do. They went into the Alka, and they lived amongst them. Rachel Saint lived there for the rest of her life. Um. The very people who had murdered Elizabeth's husband and Rachel's brother, they went to live with them. This is the grace of God. God used these women to bring the whole tribe to the Lord. The chief of the tribe, the very person who had killed Rachel's brother, Nate Saint, ended up baptizing his children, Steve and Kathy Saint. They called him grandfather. It's a remarkable testimony of God's graciousness. These two women, had they not forgiven and trusted in God's grace, would not have seen the transformation of an entire tribe. The culmination of what the men had started, the full circle of grace. And now the tribe members, they were so feared before, they Go out and evangelise to other tribes and preach the gospel. That guy, the one they called grandfather, went around the world with him. Went with Steve Saint, the son of Nate Saint. Went with him. He lived amongst them and they taught him to hunt and do all the tribal stuff. But then he came with them and they went out and they, they preached together. It's it's amazing, it makes you cry. Um, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, Paul talking about God said, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God's grace is the foundation on which the gospel message is built. And we see God's graciousness towards people in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. There's Noah, Joseph, Moses, the Israelites. They repeatedly rebelled against God, didn't they? Yet he graciously rescued them over and over again. There's Rahab, the prostitute. And then there's David, a man who royally messed up, didn't he? But he had such a heart after God. And God saw his heart and loved him. He said there's a man after my own heart and the man that we see was like a murderer and an adulterer but God was like, I love him. You know, did David deserve it? No, but read those Psalms, God is gracious. The Bible's packed with the ones who sinned and the God who forgives god pursues humans don't deserve grace god doesn't have to do it but god gives it anyway romans 5 18 to 21 in the message says this here it is in a nutshell just as one person did it wrong and got us in all of this trouble with sin and death another person did it right and got us out of it but more than just getting us out of trouble he got us into life one man said no to God and put many people in the wrong one man said yes to God and put many people in the right all that passing laws against sin all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace I love that aggressive forgiveness let's be aggressive forgivers When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. A life that goes on and on, and on, world without end. God's grace cannot be overcome. So can we pray? Let's just bow our heads heavenly father thank you for your beautiful gift of grace we don't deserve it but you died for us anyway we don't deserve it but you forgave us lord we can never understand why you would do that for us help us to extend grace when we need to to others